You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. I am, as always, Danny Anderson here hosting you for a discussion, this time of politics explicitly. We talk politics implicitly quite a lot, even, you know, go back to our Black Panther episode and it ended up being quite a lot about politics. This is the first time we've done anything quite so head on with politics, though, and I'm very excited uh, to get right into it. As many of you know, if you've listened to this long enough, that I live in Pennsylvania, and if you've been following the news uh, Pennsylvania is the site of quite a lot of political controversy uh, these last months. There's been a, a, a state Supreme Court decision about gerrymandering uh, congressional districts here. And I happen to know a guy who's running for Congress. And so I thought, what a great opportunity. I have listeners all over the country and indeed in other countries as well. Uh, and so what a great opportunity to introduce people uh, to someone on the ground uh, to, uh, to explain what this is sort of like running in this kind of an environment. And so with me today uh, in his kitchen uh, is, uh, is uh, Tom Prigg, who's been running for Congress uh, for a year, year and a half so far, uh, officially. Or come up on a year and a half. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so I met Tom about a year or so ago when he was running for the seat in my district. And because of this redistricting thing, he's no longer running for the seat in my district. Um, but we'll get into all that lately, uh, or later, excuse me. And so I, I, messaged Tom and I asked him, hey, would you be interested in uh, sort of sharing your experiences with all this, as well as telling us how it affects the campaign of someone who's been running for quite some time? And he graciously invited me not only out to dinner, but uh, back to his house afterwards to record this interview. And uh, I very much appreciate Tom uh, for doing this. So, Tom, you have a really unique background for a a candidate of any stripe. Uh, Do you want to tell a little bit about who you are before we start talking about what you're doing? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I got a little bit of a different life, uh, just the way, you know, life unfolds. And a lot of times people just don't know what directions they're going to do. And I definitely don't. I just like I'm blindfolded and, you know, <laughs> driving a car with bad, like, um, steering and everything, you know, it's like a bad alignment and swerving around. But, um, so I grew up in Washington County. Uh, I was, um, my sisters and I, uh, my mother's a single mother. Um, after I was 10 years old, uh, raising us, I grew up in poverty and basically had to, uh, work my way out of poverty. And, um, what I did was, uh, joined the military out of high school when I was 18. Um, first time I crossed the Pennsylvania border is when I left for the military. And, uh, after the military, I, I used my GI bill and went to college. I went to college, uh, found my way into neuroscience I've been doing brain research for the past 20 years. Is um, I've done some other odd things like uh, climb icebergs in the ocean, which is kind of, kind of neat because there's like more people have been in our space than ever climbed an iceberg. <laughs> I think it's still under like 20 people um, I, I, back then. You keep talking about this, and I'm like, so what was the occasion for you to climb an, ice, an iceberg? You just decided it was, one day. <laughs> so a, a friend of mine 
Uh, we, we were sitting around and I had an apartment. This is uh, years ago. And we just wanted to come up with the most radical things to climb. You know, we're like, <laughs> where, what, you know, what, what were really push some limits, you know, because when you get on a limit and you get to a point of where I could die in an hour. Yes. Right. It's a different perspective of holding everything together, um, keeping your mind together. And it's a rush at the time. Oh my God, it sucks. Like I've been in this position before where I was literally sweating and my leg was jumping. Uh, I think it's called a panic attack. <laughs> you know. I'm having one just listening to you. <laughs> and um, so the idea is we saw icebergs and we're like, wow, that'd be the most radical thing to climb. And at the time, we didn't know if anybody's ever climbed an iceberg in the ocean floating. Um, there was a, a climber, Mark Twight, in the climbing world. He's infamous. He's like the Hunter Thompson of uh, mountaineering. You know, he drinks too much and did some drugs. And, you know, he puts himself out there on this edge where he could die, you know, on a single thread. And that's where he wants to be. Yes. And, and, and I can speak from experience. Tom does know his Hunter S. Thompson. I just met his dog, Nixon. <laughs> and uh, there's a little bit of gonzo everything, everywhere. And... um so we wanted to climb icebergs, and nine months before we did our first trip, we did two trips. Uh, this is 2010. Uh, my friend commits suicide, and he um, he dies, and he doesn't make it. I had planned a trip for seven years. Um, it was such a radical idea that uh, nearly everybody I said talked to said I was crazy. They said, you can't do that. Like, you're not. You're not a world-class climber. This is far too dangerous. You know, the boat can uh, crush you between the iceberg when you're going up because it's waves in the mm -hmm. ocean. Um, the iceberg can roll over. It could calve off. There's so many things that can happen when you're climbing an iceberg. And um, in all honesty, it's likely that people will die, even though we did it successfully. And um, I remember one time I got on the bus... Um, and uh, Mikey happened to be on it. Mikey Brown was my friend. And um, I was like, Mikey, you know, I'm just headed home, but uh, let's get a beer. We get a beer, and uh, I was at the, my bottom. I was like, I got to give up on this idea of icebergs because I'm a normal guy. You know, I'm not a world-class climber like everybody said. I'm not special. I don't have uh, sponsors. You know, I'm just a normal guy that, like, wanted to do this, the most radical trip and um he's like you know what you really changed my perspectives on life you know you ignore everybody else and you go for this and the time you put in studying like i i i literally was talking to the uh, snow and ice uh, data center in canada i was literally contacting scientists around the world because there's no information about icebergs and it turns out their shape matters, their weight, um, uh, the temperature gradient between the ice and the water. Because if it's too great, they explode. Mm. Like there are so many factors. And I had to figure this out. And uh, he was telling me, like, I changed his life. Now, Mikey Brown is a local climbing legend. He's done, you know, he's climbed uh, many big walls in Yosemite. He's climbed mountains all around the country. Um, I believe he's like um, many other countries. He, he was just this radical dude that everybody wanted to be, but they were too scared to even try. <laughs> right? 
and to have him be telling me this. Um, what was funny about that is that's carried over into my campaign. I can go into that later. Yeah, I, was, I see some parallels here. There's somebody who isn't really part of the professional system of campaigning, right? Um, yeah. He's climbing a different kind of mountain here. It, um, you know, do a long story short, um, eventually we do in 2010. In 2011, uh, we returned um, to New Finland, and we were a half mile from Lef Erikson's Viking settlement. And um, I uh, I spread Mikey's ashes mm-hmm. on the last iceberg that we climbed. And um, you know it was uh, really good to have him there. Mm-hmm. And that conversation I remember to this day. And it's amazing that that conversation still echoes with me, because in politics you get a lot of that as well. The same exact criticisms, the same exact kind of support. And um, when people get behind me, support me, there's a reason that I think of people as family. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I say, I will fight for you, even if I'm not in this redistricting. Mm -hmm. I will be there because of those kind of lessons of those are the type of people that believed in me when I had nothing, when I was nothing. They're the type of people that I want to um, return that favor. And that's where it's become in, in politics. Um, I find myself in that exact same position where I'm told, you know, by higher ups, get out of this race. You can't raise a million. Mm-hmm. You don't have the connections. And I hear the same echoes. You're not a sponsor climber. <laughs> you don't, you're not getting printed in magazines. Nobody's doing documentaries of you. And um, that's. That's a lesson that we all, I think, um, can kind of embrace because we're all normal. Yeah. We're all average. We're not special. We're not. We're not the privilege. We're not the people that silver spoon and people walk around give the right handshakes for. We're all struggling. We're all trying, and we all just want to help each other to get a better life. And I think a lot of that um, that iceberg climb that I bring up a lot. Not to pound my chest because by far I was terrified <laughs> that I would die or somebody else would die. Sure. And we do have a documentary on it. And uh, I did some, got some writing published on it. And I kind of touch up. And um, that's something I kind of hope when I tell these stories that people understand. It's not about I'm anything special because I'm not. Otherwise, I'd have, you know, millions behind me and I don't. What I am is a person, is a regular person trying to accomplish a very big goal that um, people don't believe that a normal person should be able to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, and so not only that, you have this sort of venturous spirit, right? You're very creative as well. Um, if you've ever watched a uh, listener, the, uh, the Netflix series Manhunter. Uh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter, excuse me. That's right. Um, uh you might have seen Tom. He was an extra on this. Yeah. One. I, I was a, I, was a, I, I just swat uh, for that. <laughs> and I was originally supposed to do a sniper thing because I was a sniper in the military. Uh, I was in the A-2nd Airborne paratrooper in, in Panama and stuff. I was a sniper in the military. And um, so, this sounds like ridiculous. I went to a stunt <laughs> school in 2016. I did a couple stunts for a couple movies. Like I got hit by a car for what action film. <laughs> And uh, that was really neat. And I climbed a building for another one, uh, a New York heartbeat. The uh, action film is uh, 
fat guy with a shotgun. Okay. He comes out this winter. Oh, excellent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Right before my uh, general. It was fun. I did some, I did stunt acting where I was like, I had to um, talk with a Appalachian, like, I had to talk a little bit the Appalachian uh, accent. Yeah. And one time I forgot to do the accent. I said, oh, I'm really sorry. Should I research that? I said, no, that was fine. I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm going to do well in the rural counties. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I did a uh, swap for that. And uh, it's it's fun. I, I really like, I really like um, doing the films, but it's really, really hard. It was like 16, 18 hour days. Yeah. And I was going down on my knee um, in it. It was like it was so painful, yeah. uh, especially the first first day. I um, the director was the one that did uh, Fight Club. I can't remember his name. He's oh, super really? famous. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Big time guy. Is um, a lot of people complained about. Him. I find him awesome. Like I was bolting with him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, I'll beep it. You know, okay. and, and we were just like, yeah, I was talking and stuff like that. It was kind of funny as they're trying like um, teach me uh, some of the tactics. I'm like. I, I was infantry, man. Like, this is what we do. And um, it was fun. Um, I had a good time. I always have a good time with the film industry. I find everybody, no matter what actor um, I've worked with, has been very, very gracious and stuff like that. My first film was with uh, Joey Roberts' um, uh, brother. Um, oh, my God. I can't remember his first name. I'm oh, Eric? Huh? Eric? Eric? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Eric, Eric Roberts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because this is you're sort of not the the run of the you were not sort of bred from from infancy to be you're not like a Kennedy, right? Uh, uh, you're sort of uh, an adventurous spirit who's kind of found a, uh, an interest in politics. And one of the things that stood out to me, I have to say, kind of personally, and I guess it's, it's obvious. I'm I'm a Tom Prigg fan uh, listener, so I mean I don't apologize for that. But the uh, the first time I met you and I heard you talk, the um, the thing that stood out to me was that you've been planning this campaign for several years. Yeah. Um, this wasn't, I feel like in the, the wake of the 2016 election, there's been so much just explosive interest in politics, people getting into politics out of I mean, good motivations, I think, but it is essentially an emotional um, motivation. And there's such an emotional immediate reaction to the Trump presidency that people um, out of that kind of, that hysterical moment um, get into politics there. And my fear for the future is that emotions wear down and this political activism, once Trump is not president anymore, Mm -hmm. will go away. And and I, and you were interested in this before any of that happened. So why don't we move into that topic? So talk about the genesis of your campaign and, um, and how it developed and why it is you decided to do this. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned before, like I, I grew up in poverty and what happened, uh, there was like a many steps, uh, 2003, um, uh, we invade Iraq and, you know, my father is Vietnam. I was at the end of the Vietnam era when I went to the military, it was only 13, 12 years after Vietnam ended. And, um, so a lot, I had a lot of Vietnam, um, you know, commanders and, and, uh, you know, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of chain of command. Um, a lot of our tactics 
was based off of Vietnam. Yeah. So I, I remember a lot of that hangover. And one of the things I was, um, I tell people, which it kind of makes people laugh and they think I'm insane. I said, if you want to get an idea of how people felt about um, Vietnam veterans, because I remember, um, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember this. I said, I said the first Rambo was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not beating them up, but the, but the thing of, Oh, you're a army veteran. You're a, you know, you're basically scum. Mm-hmm. And we didn't change that around until Desert Storm, and that's when the yellow ribbon begins, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, George H. Bush did a very good job of changing the narrative on veterans. Um, and even back then, I was looked at, uh, looked down on because that's that's what poor people do. That's what poor people who can't do college. That's what poor people who aren't ready for the world, the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, now I'm thanked all the time. And I'm like, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I'm so glad that uh, people are like that because my daughter's in the military. I want her to be treated uh, very well because uh, what she's done is, um, she has really done the world. Um, she'll never get credit for what she did. Uh, when she did her combat tour, but um, getting rid of the terrorist group that they did mm. was absolutely that. If there, if you have a military and you have to do military action, that's the kind of thing you want. You mm. want and you know um, groups are beheading and torturing people. You want and the Nazis. You want to end things that are important. Um. I forgot where I was going. <laughs> Your uh, motivation for... Oh. So, I was... Um, so, in 2004, once I learned that the weapons of mass destruction didn't end yeah. or wasn't real, I became obsessed with, um, A, how was I lied to? How did I figure this out? Because when I was in the military and I did uh, um, RDF... Um, Ready Deployment Force, I think it's called, or DRF, uh, Deployment Ready Force. It's in the A second. We could be up wheels in the ground uh, within two hours. You know, it goes from two to nine. And we get these briefings in this movie theater, and we would hear about hot spots around the world. And I always thought it was interesting that the news was always wrong or the news lagged incredibly behind. And then when I got into college, I'm doing sociology and psychology. Sociology, I'm like, wow, the world isn't what I think it is. And I grew up in Washington, PA, uh, just outside of Washington, and I was on uh, the city. And um, I was in the rural area. I, was, uh, I had a conservative upbringing, even though I, I don't think I was a conservative-minded person, but it's the way I viewed the world. And, um, and just to pause there, that's just sort of like the deer hunter, right? That's kind of like the area that you grew up in. If you've ever seen that movie with mm-hmm. Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken, right? That, that sort of Western Pennsylvania working class urban or rural uh industrial sort of a background that's kind of where you grew up right that's my family yeah that was my family that's the way i grew up that's the world i know mm-hmm. um one of the reasons i can connect on the guns is i understand what their fears are or what their concerns are and then i can explain my worldview mm-hmm. addressing that right off the bat um I started to hate all the corruption in politics. Mm. 
Um, I see it on both parties. I have no apology for that. I do not think that there's one only good party and one only bad party. I think there's corruption on both sides and it's caused by corporations, but I won't go into that, at least not at this moment. Um, <laughs> and then in 2011, uh, Occupy Wall Street happens. Uh-huh. And I'm interested in becoming a journalist. So I start following it. And I start taking pictures. And I started recording interviews. And what was reported on the news wasn't what I was experiencing. And I was at I was at things. I was in D.C. for Occupy Congress. What's reported in Reuters and um, Fox News was that the protesters were cleared out after throwing a smoke bomb in the White House lawn. Now, that report exists. I was there physically it never happened mm. it dissipated it just you know everyone did her vigil or whatever and uh did her chance and they hung hearts on the fence and then they walked away it never i was like my god now that story coming from rooters is going to be believed by 99.9 percent .9 of the people sure if i was there it never happened and the big question was well why would you do that what what is the why why would you fa why somebody had to sit back and fabricate a story that never happened? Mm -hmm. Why is that happening? And as time went on, uh, things kept getting worse. And uh, 2012, I wanted to make as a journalist. Um, funding for my uh, science grant ran out. It's 16 years in science uh, doing brain research. I said uh, to my wife Kathy, I was like, I'm gonna try and do it be a journalist. I want to write about these issues. I want to write about the world. I think people don't know what's really going on. And I was a contributing writer for USA Today. I was uh, writing for other things, um, other papers, and I couldn't pay bills. And I said, okay, I'm going to pick up a trade because I was like, I could I could cut meat anywhere. I get a job. Mm -hmm. Now I was putting a lot of applications and the only thing I got was uh, cutting meat. I was like, fine, you know, I'll do this. Well, it's at Whole Foods, a Fortune 500 company. And then after a first month, they make me full time. So I was like, oh, great. You know, and they say, you know, we want to bring you up into management. That's wonderful, right? I'm like, good, I'll go into business. Like this, this can work out, right? This is neat. Yeah. And uh, I was still writing at the time. Um, but then I'm making 23000 a year. I never call off a day and I increase sales. I'm, I'm doing all kinds of goofy stuff. I, I won't go into detail, but I was doing all these scientific things. I was graphing um, what I was producing and what I was selling and comparing it with past months because yeah. I wanted it a little bit. And I was showing how many, and my manager loved me. Um, but when it came my six months where I get 50 cents, they said, well, we can give you 40. I was like, but you're supposed to get 50. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not allowed to do that. I was like, I never called off. I've increased sales. I've been doing very well. And you can't give me a lousy dime more. No. And he refused. So I went downstairs and I told the, the guys at the meat department and women, I said, you guys need to unionize. I'm going to run for Congress. I'm going to change this. Mm. Because I... I can't believe there were so many people afraid to lose their job. And they say the same thing. Well, what are we going to do? Mm. You know, they're making uh, 13 bucks an hour, right? And they're like, what are we going to do? Go work at Giant Eagle? 
what are we going to do? Like, what what other options? Because so many other people got uh, worse. Right. You got some benefits, but they're like, you know, um, it, for me, it was slavery because hmm. it's worker insecurity and worker insecurity means I'm not going to ask for that raise. I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to put my head down and when I'm being shouted at, I'm just going to take it because I, I can't have anything better. Mm-hmm. There's no opportunities. And that's why I said, screw this. I'm going to figure out how this works. And I spent four years studying it, breaking it down as a scientist. Yeah. And how do I do this? And that's why I'm still alive today in this race and hopefully in six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. That was really long. I'm very sorry. About no, that. no. But I mean, I see the, the threads there. One, there's a sort of a political mind um, with that sort of big global kind of politics where you see corruption and then all the way down to the local level with a person's wages, right? You sort of experience that personally and, and you sort of... This is not like a, a passionate response to any one incident. It's sort of a, 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 you know, a methodical response to a big systemic thing that you've been observing for a long time. And so, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Right. And, 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 uh, and hopefully that, you know, makes sense to the listener as well. The, um, the, um, um, the next question I guess I have is you then, um, are running against my current congressman, Keith Rothfuss, um, in the, what was called Pennsylvania 12. <laughs> and District so 12, yeah. district 12 of Pennsylvania. And this, just so you know, this district is bizarrely drawn. Like we're all the way out here in the, in Pittsburgh where you live. And I live out near Johnstown. And, and for those of you who aren't from Pennsylvania, that's practically two hours of a drive. And the district went well beyond that. There was probably, I bet it was three hours driving from, from end to end uh, of the district. Uh, and so there's this uh, bizarrely drawn district and you're kind of uniquely well suited to that area because of your background. You've got the um, the working class sort of um, heritage. You've got the military background. You've got, uh, you know, so you're a gun owner. So you kind of are not scary to people. Uh, the, the quote, the stereotypical Trump voter that the mean mm-hmm. that the media likes to the harp on. Um, you're somebody who can speak well to that crowd. And I, I could, I know you worked very hard to sort of, um, make inroads into um, those counties. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that process before yeah. we get to the gerrymander fix? <laughs> yeah. So uh, district 12, um, the reason people call it district 12 was not an accident. That was actually my psyops. Okay. <laughs> right. So <laughs> Something I, I probably shouldn't know about. <laughs> Go ahead. So I literally um, put all my campaign stuff and call it district 12 and stuff like that. It was a uh, deliberate uh, decision to um, associate with Hunger Games. Okay. And not to be cute, but Hunger Games takes place in Appalachia, coal <laughs> mining, right? Yeah. And it was about against the capital. Yeah. And I wanted to make that association without people realizing okay. <laughs> that this is what this is about. <laughs> this is about Washington keeping people down. Yeah. Right. And uh, I literally have Mockingjay pin under my lapel <laughs> the entire time. Oh, I, this is all news to me. This is amazing, yep. actually. <laughs> so when everyone calls it, and what's funny is everyone called it District 12 by the end. <laughs> so this was, um, there's all kinds of little things that we wanted in our messaging to get points across. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one person that 
picked up on that and was very mad that I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I like her a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, there was a serious point to it. Mm-hmm. And if you have to, sometimes fiction is good mm-hmm. because it's partly true. Mm-hmm. And um, so the district, District 12, was uh, 200 miles, three hours to drive to point to point yeah. if you ever did that. I lived about the center of it. Um, Cambria and Somerset were very rural or are very rural. Um, those were my most comfortable places. Westmoreland County is a little less rural. Um, it has some decent uh, towns that are built up. And then um, Allegheny is uh, very well developed and pretty good economically. They're with the national average. So Cambria and Somerset are about 22000 $23,000 a year median income. Mm-hmm. That's the middle income of a job, not household income. And the problem with household is it combines everybody's wages. So when you see a $57,000, you are like, oh, it's not so different from the 60s. Well, in the 60s, it was just one job, one person. Now it's two people and it's two jobs or it's, um, you know, or it's uh, three jobs yeah. making up that same value. Sure. The. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can cut it out. Okay. okay. Yeah. I just. um. Yeah, I got some editing software. I could still problem. Yeah, cool. Just take them up. That's good. I can pause. It. Just do what Just you gotta pause do. It. Yeah. Hurry up. I can cut this yeah. out. No problem. Just do it. Just do it. Happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney June. It's usually a Skype call to getting disconnected, but that's okay. So, am I in? Sorry. It's okay. No, no. I knew. I knew that was gonna happen. That's why I was like. Yeah. <laughs> I know my daughter. It is not an issue. Back to your dungeon. Can you take the dog up, hon? <laughs> All right. If he just sits there, then fine. If he just like stays on her. Okay. Um, yeah, you were talking about uh, Somerset County and being rural and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. So Allegheny is um, very liberal, as you can say, and economically well off. And then Beaver is kind of like um, just a little bit um, economically not as well, um, not as uh, far right as Somerset and Cambria by any means. And um it's debatable what type, what area of Westmoreland County. So you get a very, very different mix of, uh, yeah. you know, audience and stuff. Yeah, wildly diverse and wildly, like, incoherent. Like, this these this district did not belong together, right? Um, no. And, and, but you did very well uh, in, in, the, in the primary season, right? It's, it was interesting because um, depending on the county, I was a different person. When I was in Allegheny, uh, science is more important. Mm-hmm. When I'm in uh, Somerset or um, Cambria, I'm a sniper. 
you know. Yeah. Beaver, it depends on the crowd. You know, uh, Westmoreland, um, you know, talking more about economics and the moderate, you know. And it's not that I'm lying. I'm just highlighting different things. Sure, right. You know, and you got to know if it's more important to know what people need to hear, what their concerns are, um, than it is to just have one single message because then you're out of touch Mm -hmm. with your audiences. And District 12 was very diverse in Mm -hmm. her issues. Right. And and you worked really, you put a lot of hours uh, in for a good year before everything changes, right? And so, uh, like, talk about the amount of, like, driving and stuff that you would do. Wow. So I worked full-time. I still work full-time. As soon as work ends, um, I start driving. It could be two hours away. I give a meeting I, or a speech. I have a meeting, something like that. Um, I sit through that. That could be an hour or two. And then I drive home two hours. And what ended up happening and it actually turned out to be a bonus, is I was falling asleep. Mm. So, uh, you know, I was called Kathy one night coming from Somerset. I was like, Kathy, now I've been driving for a half hour. I'm falling asleep. Like I'm starting to hit the rumble. <laughs> and um, I called Kathy. I said, I'm not going to make this. I have an hour and a half left. And uh, she's talking to me and we just talk the entire time until I get home. And she's like, somebody's always going to be with you. And it ends up mostly being Kathy. Mm. So now the campaign from that one night has evolved into this. It's a family affair. Mm. We're all doing this together. Uh, we, you know, the kids come out with us. Not every time by any means. But Kathy's usually there. And it's somebody from the team. Yeah. Mostly because it's exhausting. Getting home at 11 p.m. every night. Getting up, you know, doing your job. Going out. And here's the thing. When you speak... You better be 110%. Mm-hmm. You better be smiling. You better be interject. You better be. Because if you are a human being for a moment where you're like, I'm just really tired. I'm just really off my game. I don't want to answer this question. Like, please, I got it on my website. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the amount of scrutiny is ridiculously insane. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so I remember I hosted a or emceed a town hall for you in Johnstown and some of the web questions were you know are you going to take all our guns away and these sort of very basic things that I'm sure you've talked about a million times and trying to say those things as if it's not the millionth time you've said it right it's, it's mm-hmm. gonna be <laughs> taxing we we should mention that um so Danny moderated a town hall for me in Johnstown after the Las Vegas shooting in October 2017 and uh, a couple weeks after that shooting, we did uh, we advertised in the newspapers. We put out to very many, many, many uh, organizations and said we're going to do a town hall meeting and we'll talk gun violence. And that was something else because Johnstown is considered such a tough town yeah. for a Democrat that it's been on sixty minutes. It's been written by Politico. Yeah, it's nationally known. This small town. Western PA, Southwestern PA, is known as this super tough town for any Democrat. And we did a town hall meeting on gun violence after a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks a lot for <laughs> it. It speaks a lot for the people, too. For because sure. Because people aren't the wild, wild west and they're not crazy yeah, John, at the same time. Yeah, John sounds like it become, it's become one of those like symbols 
for, I don't know, just sort of mainstream liberal media, their inability to understand or comprehend the Trump voter, they Johnstown becomes this like symbol for this incomprehensible human, right? That is just incorrigible or whatever. <laughs> and, oh. and, and that political article was like particularly galling. Uh, it was a really kind of, it was a hack job, a hatchet job, and, and it was really, um, it had its conclusion. It, it just, it was building towards this really explosive ending um, that paints everybody in Johnstown as this raging racist. And he, it, yeah. he, he literally looked for three people <laughs> that would yeah. respond the way he wanted to write the article. Like, yeah. and, and he, he and he, amidst of that, basically. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. And it's like, so you're here. Here's what blows my mind about the the political article, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, everybody. Yeah. So you are saying that these people are horrible people because they generalize. They don't really think about issues. Duh, 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 duh. So you selected people, <laughs> right? Yes. That you that you could use to generalize to everybody in Johnstown, and you're telling me that the the sin is that they generalize simple yeah. ideas. By generalizing simple ideas by the three people you selected. Yes. Like you just did the same act yes. that you were like on your high mighty horse yeah. writing about. Yes. With no sense of irony or, or, or <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, it was totally true. And, and you I actually blew my mind. Yeah, I, I wrote an article and, in and response. To, and, and to Politico's credit, they published a, a response uh, to their own article, right? And so, and I'll put a link to that as well. In, in, I never read it actually. Oh yeah, I was discussing with them. I was like, <laughs> you know what? All they're doing is backpedaling because they're getting yeah. like so much crap for yeah. it. No, no, it's there. And uh, and so I'll put a link to both articles in the show notes. But that just shows you, I mean, as an example of your commitment to reaching out to these people who live two hours away from you um, and and working so hard to make that connection, um, the point you were like legitimately drawn to defend them in that moment, right? That wasn't sort of political posturing. Um and so now let's kind of talk about the gerrymandering fix. So this, I mean, the we talked about the craziness of this district and Pennsylvania was just full of districts like this. Like mm-hmm. they were all, I mean, the, all of the, our congressional representation had over the years been so politically redrawn um, for very short term political gains that the numbers didn't match. Uh, our representation did not match voter registrations or anything like that. It was a total mess. Um, do you want to talk about like the Supreme Court's uh, intervention in all this? Um, just telling, explaining what they did. Yeah. Um, I will use this one line to explain why gerrymandering is such a problem um, and why it's such a, um, a travesty to democracy. Gerrymandering is the process of politicians picking the voters rather than voters picking the politicians. Yes. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And what that means is um, if the politicians pick the voters, they don't have to answer to anybody and they can run their show the way they want to because people vote by party lines and not issues. Right. And that's a that's a big problem on both parties. Sure. Um, I really wish people would look further into people, into what they stand for rather than, oh, they're a Democrat. It's okay. <laughs> you know? Sure. Especially in primaries. Oh, well, no matter what, as long as the Democrats there, I'm going to vote for them in the primary, in the um, general. Well, so 
we heard we heard pretty early on, and I remember I went to Bill Peduto's um, uh, party, uh, swearing in, and um, we talked to a couple of the lawyers there that were hearing the case, and one of them said, um, "This is gonna happen," and I remember us saying, "What?" <laughs> No way. How long is ago this was this? Happen? Like when was it? This was January. Oh wow. Okay. This was early January. Earlier this than was I heard like about it. two okay. weeks, three weeks. And they're like, Yeah, I think this is gonna happen. And they said what's gonna happen is the Supreme Court, federal Supreme Court will kick it back to the states and then it will be overturned. And we're like, What? You know, a week or two later. It's maybe December. I'm not really sure. Um, I had to look up when Bill's thing was. And um so, um, I was like, that would be awesome. Because you, the way I explained it, if you threw a tomato against a wall <laughs> and splatter on the map and drew lines around the splatter mark, that would be an easier district to beat Rothfuss in than what they gerrymandered. They had that so perfectly gerrymandered. Yeah. I still feel like I could have beat Rothfuss. Yeah. But the idea... Um, any change was going to be a positive win. Yeah. Um, so when when they did the lines, I was really hoping that it went east and not west. And the lines for 12 went to um, west, mm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've always felt more confident about the rural uh, counties. For most Democrats in the state, people are aesthetic. Me, I was like, oh. <laughs> Well, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I've been doing this for a year now, but okay, I know. whatever. Okay. And, and it's like, yeah, you lose everything. You know, you lose these people. I mean, you know, you you start to think of people like family. Like one, um, you know, one chair has like my kids' drawings on her refrigerator, <laughs> right? Sure. And you know, because you're 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 getting to know people. You're really hearing the issues. You're getting a backstory. Now it's just you know, juggled around and um, it did go in Democrats favor, but it's still in general uh, more Republican mm-hmm. on average. Yeah. 538 had a uh, an interesting breakdown. I mean, it does, it, it corrects some of the imbalance, but it's still a Republican leaning map um, in general. Right. It, it, it's amazing. That the Republicans are crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's like, we can't win as easily. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's just not as heavy, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. But I'll, I'll try and find that 538 article and put it in the show notes, too. So. You know what blows my mind is uh, people that are Republican, they're like, Democrats don't like the Constitution. <laughs> it's like, uh, what do you call gerrymandering? <laughs> <laughs> Democracy and stuff, and you're so, like, flag-waving. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Democracy, that's unfair. People, <laughs> people can vote against us. <laughs> yeah. It don't matter. All right, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, so it, it was crazy, and we had a you know we end up uh, switching to the fourteen, mm-hmm. and uh, Connor is redrawing the seventeen. You know, twelve became seventeen. Yeah, Connor Lamb. Uh, that you've probably heard about this. Uh, it was a special election in the suburbs of Pittsburgh there uh, for 
the 14th? 18th. The 18th. Um, yes. And the 18th at that is going to disappear, basically. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, and so, Connor, that all that bazillion dollars that was spent uh, on that special election for basically to have a seat for 10 months. <laughs> yes. That was basically what it was for. But Connor Lamb is uh, now going to be in... This, what I don't even Fourth, know. Seventeen. The seventeenth. It's amazing to me you can keep all these numbers straight. Actually, uh, and so yes, yeah. <laughs> and so and now my old district, the twelfth uh, district, twelve is now uh, the fifteenth uh, district, and so it's and then we've our borders are now no longer going towards Pittsburgh, but basically from just above Johnstown all the way to the New York line. Uh, it's uh, this massive uh, rural map that, that I'm a part of now. And so, um, but me, uh, you know, leave the 15th out of this, I guess, at this point, let's talk, let's talk about what this did. Uh, it, it had to be just like an amazing, I mean, so you, because because you obviously ideologically support the redistricting. It's, it's a better map than what we had before, right? Yeah. Um, go ahead. It's not good. Um, it's not good by any means. Uh, this is why we got to keep fighting for fair districts. Mm-hmm. This is why we need to fix the system of how um, lines are drawn. Mm-hmm. Here's the other kicker. It only goes for one more election. Right. And then it's redrawn again. Right. Anyways. Because of the census. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, here's the other kicker, man. There is so many fights uh, right now. So the worst... Uh, thing right now is the uh, Donald Trump is doing he wants a checkbox for immigrants illegal immigrants I yeah. believe and what that does is so there's a Supreme Court ruling even if you're not a citizen you count in the voting mm-hmm. numbers even though you can't vote so what that means is they can use um, the census of an illegal immigrant as a way to draw lines, even though they can't vote, nor will they. Mm-hmm. And this is another um, way of trying to get back gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. This is such a big deal. And I'd, I'd be surprised if 90% of people are even aware of what's happening. Yeah. So even if we get the fair district kind of drawing and we get a third party, we may be just fighting gerrymandering again yeah it's th- not just for democrat it should be even for both yeah a third party to come and draw it right um uh, or moderate it yeah yeah so not a uh the old way that the districts were drawn was whoever whatever party had the state um majority in in the state rep- the state house right um that party had the right to draw the districts however they saw fit, mm-hmm. right? And so this is what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court deemed to be unconstitutional. And um, then they sort of asked for suggestions from the parties, and they didn't really like any of those suggestions. They thought that they all kind of failed these various litmus tests that uh, <laughs> that were, were that were put before them. And so the the, the court itself just mandated a map um, for this the rest of this cycle, right? Yeah, I I think the uh, Republicans shot themselves in the foot by accident. Um, yeah, so the court was always going to give a different district than the Democrat map, in mm-hmm. my opinion. This is all opinion um, because they didn't want to seem like they're too biased. Right. And the Republicans gave this, um, it was kind of a middle finger map 
where they <laughs> they uh, cut Connor Lamb into the new twelve. Okay, right as a way of cutting him out of his special election that he was going into. Ah, I see. Okay, I think it was like you know it was definitely like a goofy <laughs> thing. And I think what may have happened is you know, speculation. Is they're like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And uh, the court tried to be both um, um, Republican and Democrat. Yeah. And they did a con- conglomeration of the two. Yeah. They took the worst of both parties. <laughs> yeah. It really did. On my, on my thing. Well, it's it's neat that I get to run back home. Yes, uh, that was that's where we're going uh, from this. So, out of all this mess, um, and I know it sounds like a heroic narrative to sort of your mainstream American liberal that oh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court came in and solved this evil problem, right? Um, it's really not as simple as that, though. And that's what I wanted the show to kind of emphasize is that uh, like. This complicated things a great deal. I know that the court had to deal with the the case as it was given, but next year would have been a much more convenient time to do this because it's mm-hmm. sort of between sessions, right? Um, and but having it done when it was and the way it was done right before the primary during a campaign that you have been running for a good year <laughs> at that moment. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like a massive, uh, I mean, that, that's a catastrophic blow to most campaigns. Your new district though, happens to have the, the bright side of being your hometown, right? Yeah. Washington County is my home. Um, Westmoreland was in a 12. My new counties are uh, green and Fayette. And uh, we have a really intelligent team. Um, I'm very lucky to have so such smart people on the team. And uh, we were able to basically switch everything around. Now, I went, you know, we went from 50 or so volunteers down to just under two dozen. Mm. And that's really hard uh, when you're getting signatures. Mm-hmm. And we had within like literally a week and a half, um, we got 1,250 signatures, which was, you only get three weeks to get signatures to get on the ballot. And you need 1,000, right? Um, you need 1,000, but yeah. you got to get 1,500, so you're not challenged. Right. And it was very, very difficult. And uh, the weather wasn't cooperating. It was cold. It was snowing and sleet, it seemed like, for the entire three weeks. Yeah. It was just like a really rough going. I, I can attest. This has been a crazy proto-spring here in, in Pennsylvania. But and yeah. even now, we haven't fully. So so then what it means is we only get two months to introduce ourselves to the new districts. Yeah. Um, to these new voters. Before the primary. Yeah. And so basically what that means is it's a crapshoot. Yeah. The primary is no longer about how good is your campaign. The primary is like, where's your name listed on the ballot? Mm-hmm. Um, is your name good? Yeah. Um, that's basically what we have. So now it's really rolling dice. I spent a year making a name, mm-hmm. getting out to know people. Two months, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm doing as hard as I can. I'm doing it. I'm trying my best. But the end of the day, in two months, a majority of the voters aren't going to know any of the names. They're going to pick the top. That's a 5% um, advantage. Oh. 
Yeah. I know you study statistics. I was unaware of this. There's a 5% advantage for just whoever's on the top line in a primary. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. See, you're a five-point deficit going into a primary. Wow. I'm number two. Okay. It's the second best. Uh, according to the uh, studies I sent, I read, I uh, looked up the studies as soon as I heard about the names. Mm. Um, and even that's probably rigged, to be honest. Mm. It's supposed to be random. I don't believe it. Um what you find is uh, in politics, there's a lot of deals and juggling. I'm not going to hide that. That's the truth. Yeah. And if we're ever going to change things, people need to know that things aren't as up and up and random and objective as they want it to be. Um, so basically, there's a few tactics that we're going to use uh, to get our names out as quick as possible. But there's going to be a lot of randomness to this. And it's very stressful after you've been putting in a year's worth of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and how much of the old district is in the new one for you? 25% of Westmoreland County. Okay. So, wow. So that's probably Nothing. a fraction of it's a tiny fraction yeah oh wow so it's it is essentially starting all over and i mean i just i want to emphasize just on the most basic logistic level you've had yard signs and and email addresses and all this sort of stuff branded with the 12th district right and yeah. and and all of this stuff has, has to change yeah. um for and again money is tight in every campaign especially in the primary season and 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 it, it's like a, a this gerrymandering fix is not the end of it's not the happy ending of a story right it is actually the end of act two which is the the rising action that that leads to the chaos of act three right yeah and and to be honest it actually gives republicans an edge because as as we talked about before republicans is still on average more republican and if everybody's starting out and nobody knows who is who, it's more likely then that um, people will vote party line because they don't know any names. Right. So that means on average, because it's leaning Republican, it's more likely for Republicans. So in a way, uh, Democrats shot themselves in the foot, possibly, in, the, in Pennsylvania, for a blue wave yeah. because voters don't get to know who they are. Yeah. They don't need to... They, they don't know that I could possibly be uh, somebody that they like because all they know about me is I have a D beside my name. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, you could be Nancy Pelosi, right? Exactly. I had that, <laughs> I've had that question before. And I'm like, you know, I look like somebody Nancy Pelosi wants to associate with. She doesn't even want to admit. I think she runs ads against me. <laughs> All right, motorcycle. I shoot guns. Yes, you know, that's true. I don't have. I don't have good manners. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't have money. Yeah. Like, that's the worst sin of all. I, I, I know. Like, why are you in this race? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's just I I find the whole thing so fascinating. The um, just the, the the utter like upheaval that this has brought, and and I, I, I how many people are, are running as Democrats in your new district? Uh, three others. So there's four of you going to be on a ballot, yeah. and you haven't had a chance to even like 
really probably I know that in there hasn't been a forum yet. Yeah, in the in the old district, I've been to some forums with with the candidates, and everyone gave up, came up, and gave their piece about you know their positions, and um and the voters have not had a chance to see you in person, uh, and so you are kind of just undifferentiated masses to them, and, and that exactly. and that is like a, a a serious issue, I think that this gerrymandering case uh like caused and, and i think it's uh, it's worth knowing about i don't know what we can do about it at this point but there's nothing you can do about it. i mean you have to adapt overcome improvise that was the old uh recon platoon um you know mural on our uh barracks wall and something i've lived by um not to sound like a politician but um it is what it is mm-hmm. that's just the way what you gotta work with and it's all about Rolling up your sleeves and working hard. And um, that's what I'm left with. That's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, I mean, whining gets nowhere. Right. You know, it's not going to fix anything. Right. What will fix things is sitting down and saying, okay, how are we going to do this? Right. That's what we're doing. Right. Um, and yeah, and I guess suppose whoever does come out of the, the primary will have showed some grit uh, <laughs> at, some, at some level anyway, right? Um, well... I mean, unfortunately for our primary, I think it's random. Um, what was crazy is we did a cluster analysis and we can win this district mm. by far. Mm-hmm. And um, but I don't think um, all candidates are equal right. in their ability for a demographic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's like, I mean, maybe if we want to start wrapping up with that. So the demographic now for you. Uh, in particular, I mean, it's it's the demographic that is puzzling, you know, coastal elites about, you know, what what happened to Pennsylvania. Like we, we probably read so much about Pennsylvania politics the last year, wherever you live. Uh, and so the demographics of where you're living or where you're running, excuse me, is um, is where you live as well as from where you're from. Even um, the, those demographics are very rural. It's very kind of. A rural industrial so yeah. it's like the old coal country and that's in steel and that's mm-hmm. all those sort of um, rural industrial jobs um you've got all of the kind of social ills that come along with that the yeah. the opioid crisis is really big in this mm-hmm. whole this whole area oh westmoreland county is the worst county in the entire state yeah yeah one of my counties and that's saying a lot right? that's yeah. that's that's worse than john's down then right and so um like what is your pitch to that voter um like why should they trust a democrat i'm not asking them to trust a democrat i'm having i'm asking them to trust me i don't care about the r i don't care about the d i don't care about being independent i care about what i'm running on and why i'm doing it and i think that's um i'm not even asking them to trust me i'm asking them to listen to me listen to what i want to do Listen why I want to do it and let them decide. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to listen to what I'm saying and then you decide. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm running on. Mm-hmm. What am I running on? Economic development, community level. You know, change roles of subsidy so we can incentivize um, businesses to move in to the poorest areas where we need them the most. Um, infrastructure, improved uh, business buildings that are boarded up in these downtown areas. Um Business grants, not loans, grants to help uh, new new business owners with good ideas and a strong work ethic get off the ground. Uh, start up a renewable energy cause, um, sector because we don't have a 
industry anymore, and we need to rebuild unions because it's the only organization that fights for the working people. It is. Why Why do we have right, rights to work in these states? Knock out unions. Why is unions a problem? Well, they say because they drive wages up. Oh, you mean because they fight for <laughs> livable wages and benefits. That's what you're upset about, is that you have an organization fighting for you to make sure that you can um, give your family a home, a car, pay the bills, feed your family. And, and when, you're, when your children are sick, your spouse is sick, you can take them to the hospital. Wow, that's too much. These multi-billion dollar corporations that tell you don't move away, that's too much to take care of the workers that work hard to give them the success that they have. You know, that's why I'm fully behind unions. Those are the kind of things that we need to do. Uh, improve education. Uh, there are different ways that we can do pre-K and we can do um, in the education as well. I won't, if you want. No. Could, but, yeah. You know, these are the things that are important. These are the things that will change our country. I mean, and I, I agree, and I think that's the kind of thing that just living amongst people in this region, I know that that's the kind of thing they care about. And, and But you miss all of that with the the macro lens that the national media brings to political issues. I mean, these cultural issues about abortion and, and even gun control and all these sorts of things, they're not unimportant here, but they're not the things that people are going I – mean, if that's what it's going to come down to, they've already made up their mind about what they're vote, how they're voting, right? Um, th- these elections are really about um, these more unsettled things that everybody experiences together, right? And, and I think that that's one thing that, however you draw the districts, I think that's going to be something that bind people together. Yeah, and I blame the media. Um, I blame the media over fifty percent of our problems in politics because getting anybody to write stories about what we stand for, um, how our ideas would address the issues is nearly impossible. They want sensationalism. They want, oh, who's a carpetbagger? Yeah. Oh, who says something crazy? Oh my God, I I, I, I heard his wife um, juggles cats or whatever. <laughs> right? And it's such a waste of time. And I've literally brought this up with journalists and, oh, well, you know, it's not really what people want, really. But, oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to do that later. Uh, we're, we'll do that more in depth later. Yeah. Right now, we're going to talk about, like, who doesn't live in a district? Yeah. You know, ridiculous stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. But, you know, does anybody know what we run on? No. Does anybody even know uh, what possible issues are out there? You know, the reason people vote. A part of the reason that people vote along party lines is they don't know what anybody else runs on. And they got these general ideas of what Republicans mean and what Democrats mean. And it's um, the party um, propaganda, you know, just pitches out these ideas about what they mean. Yeah. Rather than learning about the individuals that are actually running for the office that will affect their lives. Right. That's what we're up against. And the media is to blame for that. If the media did their job. We wouldn't be in a situation today where we got a reality star uh, tweeting ridiculous stuff for a nuclear war. Right. I honestly, I believe the media, the media could have done a better job and they don't. They didn't and they don't. The horse race coverage of particularly presidential elections, right? That's the, uh, uh, they, they just, they like to cover 
the the aspects of polls and that sort of thing rather than the substance of uh of actual positions that candidates have and and that leads to this you know chasing after excitement rather than substance i I remember literally uh multiple media articles about um hillary clinton wearing i think it was a red um pantsuit yeah kind of thing i think it was red yeah i can't remember yeah and I was like, who cares? <laughs> like, yes. are you kidding me? They didn't talk one thing. It was a debate with Donald Trump. I was like, yeah. could we just talk about what they were addressing the issues and how that would actually get some economists on and talk about those issues. Right. Get some uh, people that are, you know, experts of those issues and debate about what the different candidates post. Give us some contrast, you know. It's, it's, it's like um, we have a bunch of teenagers running the media of, oh, my God, did you see that? Like, ugh, ugh, those shoes, those shoes, ugh, I want to let my dog wear those shoes, you know? I do. And, and these guys, they go on um, to other shows and they're like, uh, there's a panel in Pittsburgh where they're, um, I forget what the panel is about. But they've got all these um, local media people. And there are a panel of experts, five. And I was thinking, does any of them like know anything about this? Like, there are, there are journalists. And I think there are some really smart journalists. But in general, they're not experts of those fields. Can we get some experts of the field that they're talking about? Yeah. It, it's, it's maddening because um, when you look at their reports, what they actually write is such fluff garbage. Yeah. You know, and it's it's amazing, and it's it's so refreshing when you actually got some. Uh, what's your favorite news, by the way? That I, I yeah. What's your favorite news? Gosh, put you on. I don't know that I have a favorite actually. <laughs> um, so I, I guess when I look to, so are you talking about like broadcast news or like written or or whatnot? Um, where do you get your news? Where do you get your information? You oh have a podcast. Where do you get your information? What do you think you can hear? I tend, like I like that. Yeah. Well, so I tend to read around a lot. And so I don't have any one place I typically go to. I, so I do find that in terms of broadcast, and, you know, I'm, I guess, biased because years in another life ago, I used to work at the PBS station uh, locally where I lived. And, uh, and so I did find that the news hour was – willing to take slow, I mean, a slow pace with exploring stories. And they, I thought did an admirable job of having people from both, you know, a a spectrum of opinions speak at, you know, for 25 minutes at a time about something and not just the three minute shouting match. Right. And so I, so I tend to trust the, the news hour, um, at at least their, um, uh, their attempt at being, you know, thorough. I, I trust that now in terms of, you know, written stuff. I, I read, um, I, I know a lot of stuff. I don't even want to, I hate to out myself, uh, politically too much. On it's, my own. News, it's not that. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I think cable news in general, like whatever the political stripe of the, of the particular cable news station you watch. I just think that that format is like watching ESPN. And I don't think that you're ever going to get, um, any kind of real analysis um, of it. it's just it's spectacle like any cable news format is 
the TV version of talk radio, mm-hmm. which is it's just emotion driven. Right. And, and so it isn't anything. It, it's an entertainment package sold as news. And so whatever whatever cable news you you watch you shouldn't be i i would say <laughs> and so that that's that's my opinion about those um but and so i end up i uh i read uh i think the atlantic is pretty uh is, is pretty heady for me and um and 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 you know material like that uh but yeah i think that uh i don't know i don't know what should i be reading i don't <laughs> Oh, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just I, not curious. But I just, I realize though that when you're, anything that's in the mainstream, it's ultimately supporting the status quo, right? Um, yeah. Any kind of mainstream um, news outlet, whether it's the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, uh, they're, they both, they might rest on op- opposite ends of our Democrat or Republican political spectrum, but it's generally, you know, consumer capitalism is a good thing we just have to run it in this or that way right and so i think i try to keep that in mind no matter what i'm reading and the atlantic is the same way right it's it's ultimately supporting the status quo they're just trying to make a a shinier version (laughs) of the status quo there's um i really like uh democracy now is probably my number one i i like uh the young turks uh for you know I they got some pretty cool points and stuff, um, but uh, yeah, one of the things I really like to do is I got um, um, some sites where I can look at the tweets coming out of countries. Oh, interesting! And what I do is um, I'm able to scan. This is back in my journalism days, right? Where I get this stuff. I I start so when um, North Korea is going to China. Um, I started seeing what tweets are coming out of China and hmm. North Korea to figure out what's happening. And I'm usually a couple of days ahead. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah send me a link to that. I'll put it up in the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I actually enjoy stuff that challenges the status quo. So I'll end up reading like Jacobin and the Baffler a lot. And Current Affairs is, is one that I go to a lot. Um but yeah, and I'm kind of distrustful. Everybody listens to this knows I'm sort of I'm not a libertarian, and so I, I don't. Uh, I, I'm sort of distrustful of um, I don't know people that put too much faith in free markets and that sort of thing. And so um, free market, that's the worst idea. <laughs> yeah, that this is my, how, how many crashes every time we get a free market, we have a major crash. Yeah, like I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean yeah. regulations. The regulations, yeah, and and yeah, we were talking earlier before about everyone wants to blame whoever Bush for the, uh, the 2008 crash, but that was precipitated by deregulation that began under the Clinton uh, yeah. administration, right? And so, Citigroup merger act. Yeah, yeah. Was well, that act, but uh, well, I it is late here. Um, it is almost Easter, and um, I want to uh, thank you, Tom, for inviting me into your actual home uh, to talk to you about this. And um, and I, I've just been particularly interested with the gerrymandering thing, knowing you and uh, just wondering how it is that this has affected you after putting so much work in. Um, I, it is, I think the benefit of it is that you get to actually run in your hometown. Uh, so that is actually a, probably. That's really a, cool. Yeah. Yeah. This might actually work out really well for you, but could you um, perhaps uh, share with us the, um, 
material uh, how people can get in contact with you or, or like whatever uh, like website that you have yeah um, so my website is uh, tomprigforcongress.com the twitter is at tomprig2018 uh, that's instagram as well and there's a facebook page uh, tomprig at actually I think you can find it by tomprig um, at tomprig2018 as well yeah. on facebook but um yeah, and Twitter, I'm the most active. That's where I just, because I can sit there and do it on my phone. Um, <laughs> my phone doesn't auto, like when you only get so many characters, you don't have to worry about autocorrecting yeah. so bad. Yeah, yeah. Facebook, it was awful because it kept <laughs> autocorrecting and the screen's small and I got terrible eyes because I'm getting old. And, you know, it was uh, terrible. But uh, Twitter was like where I, I live. Yeah, and, and yeah, and he's actually kind of fun to follow <laughs> on these uh, on these. I have to say, and so like I said, this is not meant to be uh, a uh, me being you know dis unattached. Like I I am a fan of Tom Prigg, uh, and so I, I wanted to uh, not only kind of give him a little um, airtime, I suppose, but also um, I just pick his brain about sort of the kind of on the ground um, cost and 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 what happens with this seemingly heroic gerrymandering narrative, what it actually looks like on the ground of an actual campaign, I think is kind of fascinating. And so um, if you want to kind of learn more, follow him uh, on all the social media. Um, and I'm sure you could use volunteers if anybody's local. <laughs> and you so, can live in any state, yeah. break postcards, do phone banking. Like we're, go you know, I'm a normal guy. I don't have wealthy connections. And, um, we're going to do this by people and by doing those little things, that's how we're going to win. And that's how you beat big money is, um, by having a lot of people do it and we're proving it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can, I saw it in, in the old 12th and, and I wish you the best of luck in your new district. Um, and just like climbing that iceberg, I suppose, right. You're, yeah. you're in no way pedigreed for such a thing. <laughs> Absolutely, but then I'll still pull it off. <laughs> I right. don't have no right to, but <laughs> that's, that's our motto. That's exactly should, right. Shouldn't win, but that boy will get by. <laughs> that's right. I'll vote for that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, Tom, thanks a lot, and and go to the show notes. Uh, if you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com. Uh, you can find show notes for all of our shows. I will um, put a little uh, note about where you could find many of the things we talked about today, including how to get in touch with Tom. Um, and uh, and whoever you, uh, you end up voting for, please do uh, maintain you know a politically active mind. Don't uh, don't once the emotional rush and, and fear of a Trump presidency wears off, don't think that the work is done. Trump is. Uh, an outcome of a larger structural he's a issue. It's <laughs> a result of a bad disease. <laughs> exactly. And he's a it, symptom. And it hurt, it heartens me that you saw this years ago, actually. So, uh, well, Tom, thanks so much. Uh, have a great Easter and have a, uh, a wonderful, uh, uh, last month of your campaign here. Uh, and best of yeah. luck to you. Yeah. Yeah. All of you enjoy your Celtic holiday <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> right. or however you, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 